Thank you, Mary. John chapter 9. John chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. to say thank you church for being the church this week we've had to minister to a family who went through a pretty long dark valley for the last week or so with Miss Ruth's hospitalization and uh, you came around you ministered you've helped walk people through this valley I appreciate of course all of you work so hard to provide meals for the uh, for the family uh, you know Miss Ruth was all about that she was all the way up in the middle of that and I see the next generations coming and, uh, and helping and working for that. And then uh, the exact same family had one of their best days yesterday. And uh, isn't that something? And I look around and see, of course, all the faces of the folks who had rallied around and wished the couple well. Uh, you know, uh, thank you for being the church and what you do and what you are. And uh, the, the big identification of who we are and what we are will go on outside these walls. And let's continue, of course, uh, being the church in the hands and feet and heart of Jesus Christ. Uh, John chapter 9, beginning in verse 1, would you stand as the scriptures read, please? Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And when he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which translated scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is not this he who sat and begged? Some said, That is he. Others said, He is like him. And he said, I am he. Therefore they said to him, How are your eyes opened? And he answered and said, A man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go wash in the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed and I received sight. And they said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. Back down to verse 24. So they called again the man who was blind and said to him, Give God the glory. We know that this man was a sinner. And he answered, said, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, though, I was blind, but now I see. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for giving us a view of Jesus Christ. But we also thank you when you give us a clear view of ourselves. And we ask as we see ourselves in the mirror of God's word, you would show us what changes, what decisions, what commitments need to be made in our lives to bring us into your will and your way for us. Show us very clearly what needs to be done today that we can leave here walking with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. 
It's a remarkable story of a miraculous miracle, a miraculous miracle that caused a lot of questions among the people who had seen it, even though the proof was right in front of them. This miracle of healing occupies the whole chapter of verse 9, all 41 verses, and we just read a part of it. Why the miracles? We look through the Bible, and you notice, of course, Jesus would perform miracles to, of course, alleviate the immediate need because he had compassion on these folks. But there's a very important reason that surpasses even the immediate need, as important as it was. And if you'll turn back to the book of Isaiah, chapter 35, Isaiah chapter 35, we'll begin in verse 3. Isaiah's filled with promises and prophecies concerning the coming of the Messiah. When Jesus came on the scene, it didn't hit them out of the blue. They had been looking for the Messiah to come for hundreds of years. And the prophets, specifically Isaiah, gave them a very clear picture of what they could expect when the Messiah came to live among them. And listen to what he says in verse 3 of chapter 35. Strengthen the weak hands. Make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong and do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. And the eyes of the blind shall be opened. And the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. And the lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb will sing, for water shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. When he comes, he said, this is what you can look for. The eyes of the blind will be opened, and the deaf will hear, and the people who never walked before will be able to get up and walk, and the people who never spoke before will sing praises to God. This is what you can look for. Jesus came on the scene, and what's he doing the eyes of the blind are open. What he's doing is showing very clearly the one that the, that the prophets have spoke about, the ones, of course, that the law spoke about, the one that you've been looking for, I'm the one. And he showed them with his miracles. In fact, in, in Matthew chapter 11, the disciples of John, the Baptist, came and talked to Jesus. John the Baptist had been in prison. He just wanted to be sure. You know, John the Baptist had pointed at Jesus and said, that's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. That's the one. I've been telling you about the coming of the Messiah. That's him. And then some time passed, and Jesus and his disciples went on away, and John continued with his ministry and then was thrown in prison. And then he really, really just needed to know and said, are you really him that would come, or do we need to look for another? He just had to know. Jesus said, you go tell John what you've seen. The blind people are seeing. The deaf people are hearing. The lame people are walking. And people who have never spoken before are singing praises. Now, why would that be important? That's exactly what the scripture said about the Messiah. John would say later on in John chapter 20, verse 30, as he talked about his book, 
He talks specifically about the miracles that he mentions in his book, which this would be one of them. Why, why did he mention these? Why did he talk about the miracles of Jesus? Well, not only, of course, to verify that the scriptures in the Old Testament were fulfilled in Jesus, but it has a personal application. In verse 30 of chapter 20 of the book of John, truly Jesus did many other signs. That word sign, that's the miracle. He did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, and that in believing, you may have eternal life. Now, we read through this and say, why are we reading this? Why, why did John include this? Why did God include all of this in the book of John? Well, it's all about you. So you can have eternal life. You can be saved. You can walk with Jesus. So that's why we're reading this. And that's important because as we see, the first point I want to make as we come to this point of Jesus laying eyes on this man is we have a collection of incorrect perspectives. You see, this man was blind, totally blind. But you see, the people around him, they might could see, but they couldn't see clearly. They needed corrective lenses, not on their eyes, but on their heart. What are the incorrect perspectives that we have? First of all, the people around this blind man, the people that were even walking with Jesus, thought that suffering was always a result of personal sin. And the Jewish people, that was their mindset. That was their mindset that if you were suffering, you were blind or you were deaf, you were crippled or something bad was happening is because you did something to make God mad. Now, they were wondering what that something could have been because they asked Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, get this. All these were Jewish people. All these were well-versed in the Old Testament. They totally ignored the book of Job. The book of Job starts off by saying how upright and righteous. There was nobody that walked with God quite like Job. And Job suffered. Job suffered and Job hurt. And they totally ignored this. Because Job had no reason, of course, to be punished by God. It said he was an upright man who walked with God. Not sinlessly perfect, but here was a man who was walking with God as well as could be expected. And yet Job suffered. And we have, of course, the, the teachings of Jesus. If you want to turn to the book of Luke chapter 13, Jesus was dealing with this exact mindset. Job chapter 13, verse 1. Luke chapter 13, verse 1, not Job, I'd say Job. Luke chapter 13, verse 1, look at this. 
Luke chapter 13, verse 1. There were present at that season some who told him about the Galileans whom, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Pilate had killed some Galileans somewhat earlier. And they was asking Jesus about it. And obviously, by Jesus' answer, they want to know, what did these guys do that was so bad that they would suffer like this? Look what Jesus said. Jesus answered and said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered such things? Do you really think this? Do you really think they were suffering because they were the worst sinners in Galilee? He said, I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you'll all likewise perish. Are those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them? Do you think they were worse sinners than all the other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you'll all likewise perish. What he was saying is, look, they were people just like you. They had the same sins of you, and you've got the same sins. They weren't worse sinners than anybody else. And you look at people who are suffering say, they must be really bad. And he said, you've got some sins too that you better repent of. But what he was trying to say is correct this, that personal pain and suffering does not always happen because of some horrible personal sin that made God really mad. What Jesus was saying is there's pain everywhere because we live in a broken world. Yes, suffering is because of sin. Suffering is because of the original sin. Sin broke the world. And because we live in a sinful, broken world, there'll be pain. There's disease. There's death. There's illness. There's hate. There's, there's violence. All of this is because of sin in general. But just to say because somebody's going through a hard time, wonder what they did so bad. Jesus said that is totally incorrect. Now, let me tell you, God does bring pain and suffering into our lives sometime to correct us. We know that, don't we? We know that. He does that. He uses chastisement to correct us. But let me tell you, suffering also accomplishes other things. Sometimes does bring, God does bring pain into our life to correct us. Of course, in the book of 1 Peter, God also brings suffering into our life to perfect us. He talks about the fiery trials that will refine our lives like fire refines gold and silver. We go through fiery trials and we come out better because God perfects us. Sometimes God uses suffering, pain, discomfort to direct us, as in the book of Jonah. Now, Jonah, you might say, was being punished because he ran from God. Oh, no, no, it could, that could be very well it. But God was trying to turn him around. God was trying to direct his life. And oftentimes when God redirects our life, God is trying to protect us as well. He'll redirect our life to protect us from something else. God uses suffering to correct us, to perfect us, to direct us, and, of course, sometimes to protect us. And then there's the idea of suffering at times just the fact of living in this world. What I'm saying is God can use 
the suffering that all of us sooner or later will have at one time or another, and he can turn something good from it. But now, let me tell you, that was, that was their, their incorrect mindset. They didn't see things clearly. And so they always won't know in a cloud of suspicion what was going on. Secondly, they looked for blame. Whose fault is this? Now, what's the problem here? Well, they could have been looking at something else. Let me explain. They're walking. Probably, they say, is probably somewhere close to the temple area. It was where people sat and begged. And they saw this guy. And let me tell you what didn't happen. What didn't happen is this. Here are the disciples walking with Jesus, supposedly had the heart of Jesus. They looked at him and said, Jesus, this guy really needs some help. Look at him. He's blind. He's never seen before. And he's been standing here begging his entire life because there was no other work he could do. Somebody needs to help him. Don't you think somebody needs to help this guy? And although we know that the disciples couldn't give him sight, they could have done something. They could have helped him out. They could have given him something. They could have said, do you need to go somewhere where we could help you go and, and lead you there? Come with us. Where do you need to go? We'll walk with you so you'll be safe. Nobody did that. Instead, they, they wanted to gossip about the guy. Who, whose fault is that? Is it his fault or maybe his parents? His parents sinned that was so bad that he was born blind. So what we realize is they, they looked for blame. What was the perspective of Jesus? Jesus looked to help him. See, that's the difference between their perspective and his perspective. And you see, here's the problem that we have when we have an incorrect perspective. When we have an incorrect perspective on other people or the events of life, our responses are going to be incorrect. The way we act is going to be incorrect. The way we react is going to be incorrect. Because we don't do the right things and we don't respond the right ways because we see it all wrong. And here were the disciples. They had this mindset. This was a guy who was so bad he was born blind. And his parents were so bad that he was born blind. Now, all they could do was wonder and try to analyze the blame when they should have been analyzing the solution to the problem. You see the difference between the Christ-like perspective and an incorrect perspective. Secondly, they looked to the past. I mean, what we're dealing with was a problem that was here and now. He had a problem now. Today he had a problem. He was begging because that was the only way he could get money. But money was the least of his problems. He couldn't see. He couldn't go anywhere independently. Nowhere. His life was just totally dependent on somebody else. So instead of seeing the problem here and now, you know what they said? What happened? We need to talk about this. We need to analyze what happened. What do you think happened? I don't know. What do you think? It might have been bad. It may have been his folks. I don't know. It may have been him. So here they are looking all to the past. What was the problem with that? As long as they were looking to the past, nothing was being done today. You see, that's our problem a lot of times that really trips us up. A lot of times we focus only on the past. There's two problems with that. 
Sometimes we only look at what we've done okay in the past and what we've achieved and what we've accomplished, and maybe that's enough. And we don't try to do anything else today for the cause of Christ. Man, we can look at what we used to do. We can look at what we had done. And you see, that's not going to help today. Or, and this is most of the time when we look at the past, we're haunted by what we did wrong in the past. A lot of times it's what we did wrong. Sometimes it's what somebody did to us. That's all we can do. Look to the past. See how somebody did something wrong to us, and, and that, that's all we think about. Then most of the time it's us. Many times if there's anything that keeps me awake at night and haunts me, it's when I look back and said, man, I wish I'd done something different. I wish I had done something different. Are you there sometime? We're all there sometime. What's the problem with that? I, I can't change that, can I? I can learn from it. I can learn from it. Or I can be thankful for it if it's a good thing in the past. But I can't change it. And I can't change it. And so a lot of times... We ask for forgiveness, and God forgives us of the things we've done wrong or the good things we should have done different. And God forgives us, but who doesn't forgive us? We don't forgive ourselves. And so we look to the past, and, and that's an incorrect perspective in that we've, we, we've got to do what Jesus did. You know what Jesus said? He said this, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but the works of God should be revealed in him. Look at verse 4. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. He said, guys, today is when we need to be dealing with things. We can't change what happened in the past, and we had better get busy because night is coming when nobody can work. Our opportunities to do the right thing, our opportunities to make the right decisions are just soon enough going to be over. Our lives will be done. And we spend our lives trying to analyze what happened in the past or look and see whose fault it was instead of taking advantage of what we can do to change the situation, what we can do to make a difference. And when can we make that difference? Now. Today's all I can deal with. Jesus said, look, guys, you got, you're looking in all the wrong direction. You can't look at the past You've got to look at today. By looking at today, you can change your future. You can do that. Jesus said, today is the day we've got to get things right. You can't change what you did wrong in the past, and what you did good in the past doesn't cut it for today. And we cannot bank on what we're going to do in the future. Those are just good intentions. Today's it. What we do today is what really counts. We have a case study of ourselves in this guy. We may think that we don't have anything in common with a guy that lived 2,000 years ago that was born blind in a country that didn't have any social programs. There was no help for him. And this is just so totally removed for us. But we have a lot in common with this guy. And that's, first of all, Jesus saw him first. You say, well, that's pretty obvious. There's no way he could see that Jesus was coming his way. He didn't know that Jesus was coming his way until Jesus 
started talking to him. Unless somebody told him, look, Jesus is on his way, and we know that happened to some other blind guys, but we just know that they saw him or were talking about him, the disciples, and then Jesus encounters him. There's no way they could, he could see Jesus first. But Jesus saw him first. Look, Jesus saw us first. Before we started dealing with Jesus, before we ever talked to him, before we prayed the first prayer, who saw us first? Jesus saw us first. Paul puts it in perspective in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We'll look in verse 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3. But even if our gospel is veiled or hidden, if our gospel is hidden, it is hidden to those who are perishing, those who are lost. Look at verse 4. Whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. We do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. Ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. It is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He said, the God of this world, small case, which would be Satan, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. Just like this blind man. But he said this, the good news is, they may not see God, but God sees them. And God is sending the light of Jesus Christ and the message of the gospel to them. That's when he said, our gospel can't be hid. We can't hide it. If it's hidden, it's hidden to those who need it the most. He said, because they're blind. We were like that guy, every single one of us. Before we prayed the first prayer to Jesus Christ, he saw us before we saw him. And Jesus provided what no one else could. See, there's an aspect of this. The light of the gospel of Christ only Jesus can do that. There's no social program. There's no other philosophy. There's nothing else we can attain in life. There's nothing else that will substitute for us. There's no amount of finances. There's no amount of convenience and comfort. There's no amount of achievement. There's no amount of any of this that can ever replace what Jesus can do to save a soul. Can't save ourselves. Nothing else can do it. Nobody else could touch his eyes and make him see only Jesus could. And you see, there's a part of our lives, there's a need in our heart that only Jesus can meet. Only Jesus alone. And then there's a, an interesting twist to this story. We know Jesus did several things to heal people. He healed people long distance. He just said the word, and they were healed. He reached out, and he touched the leper, and he was healed. But this was this is some, really some hands-on treatment that was going on here. In verse 6, he said, When he said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. Why did he do this? I don't know. 
Why don't you do this different than anything else? I'm not sure. We don't, there's no way to know, but we know that's what he did. I can tell you what it accomplished here in a minute, but I, can you imagine, here's a man that's blind, and he encounters Jesus, and I'm pretty sure he's probably heard of Jesus. So he's standing there waiting on Jesus to say the word. And then you hear Jesus spit. Now, don't know exactly why I would be doing that. Then Jesus rubs dirt in his eyes. Now, that, that can't be comfortable. Whoa, what's going on here? There's no way anybody could. I'm sure the disciples are saying, did you see this? Here's a man that's blind, and Jesus said, oh, you're uncomfortable now? Have some of that. He said, man, how's that going to work for him? I cannot understand what Jesus is doing here. What in the world is going on with me? I'm so uncomfortable now. Well, let me tell you. Jesus was asking him to do something. Why? We don't know, except maybe there was somebody there that needed to see what was going on with this blind man. But he said, I want you to go wash in the pool of Siloam. Or as we say, Siloam. Siloam Springs. That's right. That's where it is. All right. That's a biblical name. Siloam Springs, Arkansas. Go wash. Now, let me tell you about this. The pool of Siloam had 32 steps down to it. And he was saying to a blind man, hey, you need to go and wash in this pool. Now, I'm not sure exactly how far it was away. We can say he may have been at the temple at this time. We don't know exactly, but it's some ways off. The man's blind. The man's blind. He says, you need to navigate through town and go into this pool. And oh, by the way, 32 steps, you need to go down there. You know, he had to probably get some help. Now, it would have been real easy for him to say, I'm out, I'm out, there's no way. Look at me, I'm blind, Jesus. This is, you, i got to get somebody to go in. You know how far it is? Can you know all those 32 steps? There's no way I can do what you're telling me to do. But you know what? He was glad to do what Jesus asked him to do because he had dirt in his eyes. You ever had sand in your eye? Well, Jesus just rubbed sand in both eyes. He had sufficient motivation to do what Jesus asked him to do. Why? Irritation. Irritation. His eyes were irritated. Now, let me just put into perspective, because sometimes we're not suffering quite like the blind man of having a major crisis, but sometimes life has a way of irritating us, doesn't it? Everything on a particular day just not go like you planned. Little things happen that just odds and ends. Sometimes people have a way of irritating us. You ever? Oh, yeah, you don't know anything I'm talking about. Nobody's ever? Yes, sir, people irritate us. I mean, they just, you know how it is. Hey, man, why is this happening? Wait a minute, what am I having a day like I'm doing? Maybe, maybe God has sent some irritation into our life to motivate us to do something he's asking us to do. We don't know, but God has a way of doing this. You remember Jonah? Uh, Jonah may not have turned around if he hadn't had a little bit of irritation. Well, a big irritation, like as big as a whale, literally. Then, of course, there's the 
passage of scripture in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 32, when he says, as an eagle stirs up the nest and flutters over his young and so forth, so the Lord. You know what happens when the eagle stirs up the nest? The little chicks are in the nest, and they're all nice and cozy and all, and they're just loving it in there, but the chicks aren't supposed to stay in there. It is for an eagle to be able to fly, but they're not going to fly as long as they're cozy in the nest. Oh, man, they love it. That's their comfort zone. Well, the eagle comes in and stirs up the nest, takes out all the fluff, takes out all the fluff. All of a sudden, the nest is uncomfortable because the eagle will make the nest out of branches and so forth, and then there will be, of course, sharp edges down there. So the, here's the little chick that's had it all nice and comfortable, everything going its way. And then all of a sudden, ow, 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 what are we going to do? And the, and the chick is totally uncomfortable does not want to stay in that situation any longer. So it gets to the edge of the nest, and it says the eagle flutters over it and just flutters it out of the nest because that's where the eagle is supposed to be is in the air. Now, it'll swoop under it and make sure it doesn't fall to the ground and get injured, but it causes some discomfort and some irritation to get it where it needs to go. Now, there are times where we suffer some irritation, and we suffer some things that aren't going our way, and God could be pushing us out of our comfort zone. Now, it could be that you're having a rotten day, but I'm going to tell you, a lot of times we're having, a, we're having those kind of days or weeks or months or however, and it could be God is getting you out of your comfort zone because he wants to do something far bigger in your life. Now, God had something big plan for this man and that was the fact that he would wash in the pool of Siloam and come back seeing and to make sure that he did what Jesus asked him to do Jesus said let me give you some motivation here now go wash oh yeah I'm glad to wash now Jesus we just don't know the workings of God we have to trust the workings of God sometimes and God's trying to get something far better in our life now, when he obeyed Jesus, when he obeyed Jesus, the change in his life was noticeable. When we obey Jesus and walk where Jesus wants us to walk and do what Jesus wants us to do, there will be a notable change in our life. All his neighbors were just amazed. Is this the same guy? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. They were asking him how it happened. What happened? Of course, the Pharisees got on board because Jesus did this on the Sabbath day, and they were all mad and said, there's no way he could be the Son of God. He said, this guy's a sinner. Don't you think so? He said, well, where is he a sinner? No, I don't know. And listen, I'm going to tell you what I do know. I was blind, and now I see, and that's enough for me. There's a big difference because Jesus made that change. You see, Jesus asked him to do something, and when he responded positively to what Jesus said for him to do, made a big change in his life that was noticeable. Now, we wrap it all up with this as we prepare for an invitational hymn. Are we seeing life clearly, or do we have some misplaced perspectives like the disciples? Are we seeing life clearly, or are we looking to the past, or banking on what we're going to do in the future, and we've lost sight of the right now? Right now is what we need to go. Maybe, of course, it's more serious than this. Maybe 
like the blind man, you're not seeing Jesus clearly. You're not seeing Jesus clearly. Sometimes we don't see God because we're just too busy with other things. We're not looking at God. Let's be honest. We don't look to God. We don't pray. We don't think about God. We're so busy with the other things of life. Sometimes we're looking the other way because there's other things away from God we'd rather pursue. But then sometimes it's this. Sometimes we can't see God for the pain. Because there's pain in our life. Sometimes there's so much pain in our life, we're a little bit mad at God and we don't even want to look at him. Let me tell you, whether you're just too busy, you're looking at all the wrong things, or you may be not even wanting to look at God, God's looking at you. It doesn't matter which, why you're not looking at God. God's looking at you. And even if you're not looking at God because you don't want to look at God, God's looking at you because he loves you. And he's got a clear eye on you before you even can see him. But if you're not seeing Christ, you're not seeing God, you're not seeing life clearly, he sees you very clearly. And he wants you to know the peace that passes understanding and all of life's irritations. And especially if you're in the darkness of sin, he wants you to know the glorious light of the world in Jesus Christ. And if there's a need you have to make things right, today is the day to do that as we stand and sing.